I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Our boys will face challenges and disappointments. How can we better prepare them to navigate the difficult periods of their lives? Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. As always, we appreciate you, our listeners, and we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. Thank you so much. How can we build boys' resiliency and mental wellness? It's not usually the first question we ask ourselves when we become parents of sons. And in the busyness of parenting, it often doesn't come up at all unless or until there are obvious signs of struggle, anxiety, depression, school refusal sometimes. But our boys, all of us actually, will face challenges, disappointments, and obstacles. And the better we can prepare them to navigate the difficult parts of life, the healthier and happier they'll be. But historically, we've neglected this part of parenting, and it shows. Male suicide rates are nearly four times that of females. Male depression and loneliness is a big problem in our schools, in our homes, in our communities. But the good news is that emotional resiliency is a skill that can be developed. Joining us today is Andrew Reiner, who is the author of Better Boys, Better Men, the new masculinity that creates greater courage and emotional resiliency. And Andrew is also the dad of a son and a college professor. Welcome, Andrew. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here with both of you. Tell us what you were seeing, are seeing as a father, as a citizen, as a college professor that prompted you to look at and write about boys, men, and emotional resiliency. Really, the, the tipping point for me was, was in the classroom at the college level. One of the things I started noticing is that when I would teach in the honors college at my university at Towson, I, would, I started noticing that there was kind of a chasm between the, uh, the effort that my male students were putting forth versus my female students. 
And that really kind of surprised me because a lot of us have seen that for a long time, you know, when it comes to just a, a standard classroom, a general classroom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, we've seen, we've seen those differences between males and females, but I really didn't expect it at the honors college level. And it's not that there was no, there was no question that the boys were not, you know, their intelligence didn't, didn't keep par with their female, you know, classmates. It was that they were really kind of, um, they weren't handing in assignments as much. In addition to not handing in assignments as much, they were getting in assignments late all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and I noticed that um, they weren't participating in discussions nearly as much as their female classmates. And then when you pivot over to what I was what I was exploring outside of the honors college, not exploring, but what I was what I was what I was witnessing, the chasm was even greater. That the male students were far more likely to uh, to blow off classes. They were far more likely to not hand assignments in at all, let alone late. And they were not at all participating in class discussions. At least in the honors college, I could, you know, I could kind of um, needle the guys a little bit. Kind of, jokingly to, kind of jokingly, kind of jokingly, you know, to get them to pony up. But outside of the honors college, it was it was work. Yeah, you know, I started noticing that, and and I and I, I didn't, I knew that this was not a coincidence. You know, this was not just something that oh, it's just the school where I teach. Right. Um, and so when I started writing my book, one of the things that I really wanted to lean into more was, of course, this problem was the way that boys were engaging with school, the, bo- the way that boys were thinking about school. Because you, know, you really, of course, that's what you're talking about, right? What you're really talking about is the way, is the relationship boys have to school. That's really what this is. I'm watching Janet's eyes as we're having this <laughs> conversation. And Janet started her career teaching first grade boys. So she's the opposite end of the educational spectrum. And her eyes are saying, yep, saw yes. it right there. She saw it at the beginning. And then you see, you know, the same similar boys 12, 14 years later, and it hasn't gotten better. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think there is the hope that it's going to get better. From the from kindergarten elementary, we think, oh, you know, if we can just get them through middle school, high school, they'll be fine. They'll be off in college and they'll be fine. And you <laughs> are telling us they are not fine. It, it ain't happening. Mm. I'm I'm here to tell you it is not happening. In fact, what I've seen, uh, I'd say over the past, I've been teaching um, at my university for, this is I think my 17th year. Mm -hmm. I have seen, I'd say over the past five, seven years at the absolute most, I've seen a shift generationally. I really Mm -hmm. have. You know, what began with what would have been millennials had progressively gotten worse with the with the the youngest millennials and then into Gen Z, mm. and and this is all pre-pandemic. Let's let's just be really clear about that. You know, a lot of people today, when they're having these conversations, understandably, they're talking about the pandemic, and there's no mm. question we can all agree, the pandemic clearly has amped up all of these problems. Mm-hmm. But the pandemic is really opened up, you know, the bo- the, the the top of the Pandora's box. That's all it did. It, it amplified. It did. It made, yeah. It didn't cause, it, it certainly created some new challenges for all Absolutely. of us. But what you're saying is the pandemic is not the root and underlying cause because this was happening before. That's exactly right. Right. I mean, one of the things that, 
you know, that, that we started noticing before the pandemic was the huge uptick, regardless of gender, regardless of gender identity for mental health issues, right? Mm -hmm, Especially mm -hmm. around anxiety, as you mentioned, and depression and stress is a huge one. I get so many students coming into college and and this is especially true in the honors college. They're already burnt out. And again, this is all pre-pandemic. They're already burnt out. And, and sometimes I'll try to talk with them a little bit about, and they'll say, yeah, you know, getting, just getting to this point because of the expectations of how competitive colleges are and, and just, you know, getting, getting to this point, I'm just like, I'm just crawling across the line here. Right. I mean, you're talking about 18 year olds, a little older in some cases who are burnt out and exhausted by that point, because it's all been this sprint. We got to push hard, 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 hard. And they do, they get across the finish line. Okay. I am in college now. I have done it. All they really need is a break. That's exactly right. Yeah, they, they do. I mean, a whole nother conversation here is, is the gap year, which I'm a huge, mm-hmm. huge fan of, right? Mm-hmm. Not only am I a huge fan of it for everyone, but I think that really, I, I think that for boys, really, there should be something structured in place that probably is really two mm-hmm. years because of one of the things that I talk about in my book is how a lot of psychologists and researchers have always said that, and 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 I write about this in my book that you know that the male parts of the male brain mature more slowly. We all know mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. God. Yes, right. Yes, but that that number, interestingly, which we used to be, you know, maybe twenty two, maybe twenty four, now it's closer to beginning really in about twenty five and going into the late twenties. Yes. I even saw studies. I even saw studies during my research that that some researchers were saying. We, we even think it's into the early 30s for a lot of younger males. So clearly that has- That size is me as a parent of men in their early 20s. Going, hey, <laughs> how much longer? How much longer? It's, I mean, I know. I, how much more of this? Do, how much can we really, do we need to endure here, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. good Lord, people, you know? Yeah. Yes. Well, and it's, that gap year too, we we know that it, it would be good for our boys to have that gap year before first grade. So imagine right. in the too. perfect world, right. a gap year at the beginning and a gap year at the end before they go into college. Gap two years. I like your idea about two years for our boys. I really, yeah, I really do think that everybody, again, regardless of gender identity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, should be, there should be a constructive gap year. Where it's not overwhelming, but but there is something that they are doing that feels on many, on many levels of their being more restful and more generative, mm-hmm. but also that feels meaningful. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be an intense the way school is just constantly, you know, beating them over the head with deadline, deadline, deadline. But I really do think that would be really helpful. And I think for for young men, I really do think it should be two years. I really mm-hmm. do. So let me I think, ask you I think you would see a difference. Let me ask you a question. In the beginning, when you were talking about you are seeing young men not handing in assignments, handing them in late, not going to class. I know we have so many listeners going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And this is why I have to be on him all the time. Because we see, so many of us parents see that that is the problem. That is what we got to work on so that they can do those things in college. But then I also just heard you say the words restful and generative which is not at all the approach that most of us take when we see boys, girls, anybody falling behind. Our cultural instinct seems to be, we got to ratchet down and we got to make sure they do this. Push harder. 
That's exactly right. It, it really becomes kind of punitive. And what a lot of extremely well-intentioned and well-meaning parents really don't realize is that, uh, you know, on the back end of that is, is chronic stress and not having the toolkit to deal with that. Yes. And, and one of the things, and, and one of the core things that we know about girls and young women is that they are much more adept and much better at when they are dealing with these things at finding ways to get the support network that they need. That, that, that is not the answer to the problem, all right? The answer to the problem really does go much deeper. That said, this is about coping, you know, mm -hmm. compensatory skills. Mm -hmm. And because girls and young women are very good at having support networks, that really does make a big difference. The difference, you see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The difference with the boys and young men, they have the same levels of chronic stress and they have positively no safety net. There's mm -hmm. nothing there. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many boys and young men that I teach and that I interviewed, you know, talk about the importance of learning to handle things on their own, you know, as the messages they're getting from very well-intentioned parents as ascending men. Mm. We are still teaching. And, and the thing is, when you tell a young man and every message around him on social media you know, YouTube, the influencers, gaming, all the messages they get is if you're a man, you you learn to do it by yourself. You learn mm -hmm. to handle your issues. That's what your responsibility as an ascending man is. What they don't understand in their brains yet that are not fully developed and they can't see the horizon mm -hmm. is that that means literally, not figuratively, literally everything that becomes a struggle for me is on me. Mm -hmm. And I'm failing as a man mm -hmm. if I can't meet that responsibility. Mm -hmm. That is a massive, massive setup, you know, for not just the perpetuation of the chronic stress, but the intense amount of internal shame that yes. so many boys and young men feel, which sends them down a deeper negative spiral, which often leads to depression. I mean, I can just sit here and rattle off some stories to you guys easily mm -hmm. right now about this. Mm -hmm. That's the massive difference. And so... I see so much when I'm able to have conversations with students a little bit about these kinds of things, you know, and I'll ask the young women, you know, do you have people you can turn to, to just get emotional support? Well, really all of them do. And I, sometimes mm -hmm. I've even actually given like surveys in class about this kind of stuff. And the young men, when, when we'll talk about what emotional support looks like, a few of them know what it means, but what they think is emotional support is the same old, same old that they're getting from, from males in their lives, which is solutions and advice. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know a lot of times what, and, and what emotional support means. And then when I when I talk about what it really looks like, they always turn to females in their lives for that. Mm -hmm. and, it, and of course, the important thing is it's good if they're getting it, mm -hmm. but we, as you know, we can't, ex we can't constantly burden other people, you know, with the things that really we need help for that, that, that sometimes need a wider net. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't always just be turning to, you know, you know, mothers, of course, all often want to do this, but we shouldn't be turning to girlfriends and wives and partners all the time. You know, we should we should have a healthier balance the same way that girls and women do of having a deeper and wider net of the support because it makes a massive difference in terms of daily coping. So let's go back to the middle school boy who mom and dad and teacher C is struggling right now. He is not turning in his homework. He's tuning out. He doesn't care about anything. I think that we just established that maybe ratcheting down and saying, hey, 
buddy, get your act together. And just coming on hard and saying, you got to get your stuff done is not the full or complete answer. So that sounds like a good time to be perhaps intervening to make a difference, but what should we be doing? Right. So that's the big question, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So let me, let me begin by answering that question by kind of fast forwarding and telling you about some research I came across that, that didn't surprise me, but it was very sobering. Okay. Which was, um, I was giving a talk at a a two-year college and I was preparing for it. And I came across this study about the ways that young men are struggling at the college level. And this study was conducted, I don't know if it was by or for college administrators. And what they found was that many of the, especially the incoming freshmen, the young men who are having problems academically, when they were getting heads up from their professors and their academic advisors, which were basically along the lines of, look, you're struggling in this class, you know, let me know if I can be of help. You really, you need to get it together. You know, and this was much more soft pedal than a lot of parents would even be, of course. Mm -hmm. Almost inevitably, it backfired. And that did not encourage the young men to seek the help that you would think they would want to seek in that situation. What they ended up doing was feeling that they were failing. A shame, failure. And feeling like they shouldn't have to go and seek extra help. And they shouldn't, you know, really admit to this because it would be failure to them. And so much of that, as I was so glad they said at the end of this research, really was rooted in these old notions, these traditional notions of masculinity, that they are failing as ascending men. And in turn, what what it did was it was a massive hit. And I was also glad they used this this phrasing at the end of the study. It was a massive hit to their emotional resiliency. They couldn't bounce Mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. So imagine if this, you see where I'm going here. Imagine if this is boys 17, 18, maybe even 19, you can imagine when boys are, you know, 11, 12, 13, even 14. I mean, it goes against so much of what we tell them. And so really what, what is we're internalizing when we browbeat them like this, a lot of it becomes really negative emotion, you know, it becomes yeah. shame. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, shame is not, you know, there are some boys who can be motivated by shame. But research shows that the more that you use shame and belittling and things, you might initially get the result you seek for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. In the long run, what it's going to do is have far more dire consequences. It is going to lead to suppressed or repressed, I should say, you know, repressed feelings of anxiety, depression, and hostility. And that stuff doesn't go away. It's corrosive. It's on the inside. It's It's eating away at them. And all it does is make them feel like failures. And so one of the things I'm I'm so glad to see that there are finally studies coming out about this, which is that boys do better when they are in relationship with the adults in their lives. I'm going to say that again. Yes. This is so important. And it sounds like so obvious, but so many people really don't get the layers of this. Boys do better and they thrive when there are relationships with the adults that mean, that mean something to them in their lives. Mm-hmm. Boys I think- will give us what we want, but they need to know that we have skin in the game with who they are. I think we need to be really clear what you mean by in relationship, because mm-hmm. we think we all think we're in relationship with I our know. kids. Teachers think they're in relationship with their students. Of course, I am in relationship with my son. I have been caring for him for a decade plus. 
That's exactly right. I'm so glad you asked that question because you're right. We really do need to clarify that. And that's what I meant by that. There are layers to this that a lot of people don't realize. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart Baby Formula. By Heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And By Heart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on By Heart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. By Heart is also the only U.S. made infant formula to use organic grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider ByHeart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at ByHeart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. ByHeart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. When girls feel that they're in, really in relationship, they feel emotionally supported. 
that is not that different from boys. Boys would never go there and say that, most boys. Fortunately, there are more boys that are learning to do that, mm -hmm. thank God. But one of the things that all boys want, even if they can't admit that they do want emotional support, is that they want to be validated for who they're becoming as ascending men. Mm -hmm. They want to know that they are liked and they are accepted. And for all boys of all stripes, that is something that even if they're raised with traditional masculinity, and a lot of boys still are with traditional masculine values, even if they still are, what we need to do is, is let them know that regardless of the warts, of the flaws, we appreciate who they are becoming as young men. And mm -hmm. we like who they're becoming as young men. And, and the way that we approach them by you know saying things like, you've got to get your act together. You've got to yeah. suck this up. You've got to do it, man. You've got to learn to become independent if you're going to become, you know, if you're going to become mm -hmm. successful or you're going to become a man. Those are all things that that reinforce the message to boys that if they can't handle things on their own, they're failures. Yeah. This yeah. is not the yeah. message we want to be telling boys in, in the very concre concretized minds in their brains. That is what they're hearing. If I can't do this, I am a failure. And if I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be doing it on my own, boys cannot understand that there are certain times that they really should be seeking help, that it's a balancing act learning independence. And a lot of parents need to really, it's important for us as parents to understand that we really need to have a lot more conversations about what independence means and what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And that it's far, it's far much more of a balancing act than in either or, which is the way a lot of boys internalize it. And that's a really important way to be in relationship with boys is to be having conversations about our expectations with them in ways that are that are far less charged and that really that really speak to them in ways that that don't feel like attacks mm -hmm. to who they are as ascending men. Yeah. And and to feel and and also one of the things I I always when I give talks to parents and at schools and to teachers, I talk a lot about the importance of also modeling more emotional language for boys. Mm -hmm. The importance of that and normalizing this so it doesn't feel so uncomfortable to them mm -hmm. because the, because we have a much easier time reaching them. I mean, think about when we talk to girls, we know that if we find out what's bothering them and we can support them in very simple, you know, emotionally grounding ways, a lot of girls will respond to that. I am utterly convinced based on a lot of, you know, newer research, boys can and will do the same thing, but they need to know that it's safe to be in that space. And only, and we're the ones as parents who need to create that space. Mm -hmm. You know, simple ways of just, you know, asking them things like, you know, I know that, you know, you're struggling in school, you know, your teachers have told, have shared with me, with us, clearly they've, they've talked with you about it. I can only imagine, you know, that that must, that must feel a little bit rough, empathy. you know, and, and, I mean, empathy, lead with mm -hmm. empathy, lead and lead with curiosity as opposed yeah. to judgment. Yeah. All of our relationships, my God, could benefit from <laughs> right? that. What, yes. what, what, what do you see as getting in the way for you? What do you, see, what do you see as making it harder for you right now, you know, to be getting your assignments done and on time? That is a mm -hmm. fantastic question to lead with. Yeah. Because you are, you are empowering your son. You are neutralizing the emotion. You are leading with curiosity, which always, always feels less judgmental to us. Mm -hmm. And you are empowering your son to have ownership in the solution. 
two things that I see, Janet, and I'm curious how this shakes out with the, the families that you work with. First of all, I think a lot of parents, if they are honest with themselves, they legitimately struggle with liking their kid and who he is at certain times. For parents to hear you say, you know, I need to, you know, you need to validate and let you know that, you know, I'm okay with this ascending man. We're like, no, uh-uh, no, really not okay with who you are right now. No. So there's that level. And when you try the approach with empathy and curiosity, which I 100% support and underscore what I have found in my life is so often boys will just, they'll stonewall you at first yeah. or they'll throw it back because they don't trust that we really are curious. They, they, they are not used to this. So it's almost like you have to do it many times before mm-hmm. they start to get a sense that maybe they actually care what's going on with me. That's yeah. right. Because, because that's right. Because a lot of boys, much more than girls have not grown up with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are places outside of our homes where they're getting a lot of encouragement to buy into this. Yeah. It's really, you know, it's a lot like I had this when I was, when I was single and I got my first dog, she was this beautiful, sweet dog and she would, she'd been homeless. And, and I could not get, because I wasn't really making, wasn't learned. I should have learned how to like, gain the trust of a homeless dog. It's it's really kind of the same thing. I'm not yeah. saying boys are homeless yeah, dogs. No, right? but it is. But let's it be is. clear about that. It's like but teeny I'm, tiny steps. It's what I'm saying so... is that you you have to. And it, for a lot of us, it's a learning process too. Yeah. Because we it's, didn't it's grow work. up hearing we it. We learn that boys really will talk if you can give them, you know, if they feel safe. There's two mm-hmm. things boys need to really feel that they can they can open up. They need to know it's safe and they also need to know that they've got permission. Mm. Those are two really important things for anyone who identifies as male and is and and is surrounding himself with other males is because there there are so few spaces out there that they encounter on a daily basis that are feel safe to them to have these kinds of conversations and where anyone is telling them you've got permission. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm really encouraging that. Yeah. It's and it's I, a process. You have to work at it. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It requires a lot of patience, but it requ- but more more importantly, to be honest, for a lot of us, it really cause it really requires us to reorient the way that we talk to and with our sons. And the things and, that we are finding most important as you're talking, I'm just thinking of the parents that I work with and how the focus has been schoolwork, video games, he's not socializing. Those seem to be like the top layer. And that's what we focus on. And what you're saying is, you know, we have to go deeper. And I think it's okay for our our listeners to go to their boys and say, look, I'm learning. I want to do this differently. I want to, you know, make school not the focus. I care about you. I want to know what's going on for you. And, you know, it's going to be awkward at first, if it's new to your communication with each other admit it this is awkward but i really want to strive to know you in a different way in absolutely. a deeper way absolutely and lead and lead with more humility as boys get older you know they they can see through bullshit a mile away yep they can boys are boys are great at that yep and so if we are much more much more sincere and we are more transparent and we make it part more of a collaboration and a partnership boys are much more likely to feel that there's skin in the game for them because they're being heard and they're being validated. 
And boy, if we if we lined up a bunch of boys right now, older middle school and high school especially, and we said, what really frustrates you about conversations with teachers and your parents? I guarantee you, if, if we had a multiple choice, they all would pick, nobody really listens to me. Nobody me. really hears me. Yes. Boys want to be heard. They want to be validated. When we create that space for them, they will jump through hoops for us mm-hmm. because we are in a deeper, real relationship that matters to them. We're recording this just before uh, you know Thanksgiving in the United States. This is a tough time of year for a lot of college students, for a lot of families. You know, um, kids that have gone off to college, if struggles have started, you sometimes have kids coming home. Some will uh, let you know they're struggling, others won't. How can parents kind of be a supportive but not overbearing presence as we go into this season with our children who are on the edge of adulthood, need support? some are struggling. What do you suggest? Ooh, that's a tough one. We're talking about, um, we're talking about, uh, more college age coming. Yeah. I'm thinking about the college age kids who are coming home and some have been struggling and some parents know their kids are struggling and some don't know their kids are struggling. That's right. That's right. You know, a lot of people understandably would say, you know, it's too late in the game to really change the dynamic. It's kind of the die Mm -hmm. is cast. My child is older, for better or for worse. This is the parent that I've been, and it's it's and it's too late. And I don't. I really could care less how corny this sounds. I don't. I don't. I don't. You know, I've got no truck for corny. I I believe that you know it's if it's corny, it's probably true. And I really do believe it's not. It's never too late. Yeah. Really, that's an excuse on the part of us because it makes us uncomfortable and it requires yeah. extra work of us. It is not too late. And one of the easiest things that I think is, um, I used to do this kind of thing. I did this with my father. When my father was, my father was a very, very difficult person. And one of the only ways that I could ever really have meaningful conversations with him was when we were watching old movies. And clearly this Mm -hmm. is making me emotional. Yeah. Um, But we would watch old movies and uh, sometimes it was the entree that I could get to have conversations with him about things he didn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't trying to impose, but there were things, conversations I needed to have with him. I absolutely needed to have. One of the things I think that we can do with our sons when they come home is do things that we used to do with them to bond, yeah. that they liked. And that and that often can be a way, it's a soft-pedaled way to kind of, without browbeating them, but just kind of, you know, opening the door for the conversation. You're going to make mm-hmm. me cry. I know. I, I think we're all crying I'm, right I'm, now. I'm stopping myself here. Normally <laughs> yeah. I just get overwhelmed and it just comes out, man. Yeah. But, yeah. but really it's, you know, doing things with our children that, that had emotional resonance for them. It's about them. It's about reaching mm-hmm. to them. It's not, it's not about us. Right. You know, one of the things that is so important is that, you know, for those of us who really aren't comfortable being emotive, there are times throughout our lives, everybody knows this, we have to really kind of, you know, you know, we really have to kind of do it for our kids. And it, and it is never too late, but we've got to find mm-hmm. new ways that will feel genuine to them where they're willing to kind of let the guard down, mm-hmm. where we can do this. And one of the easiest ways to do this 
is by, you know, doing some activity that used to do, what better time to do this than the holidays? Yeah. Do some activity that your child used to love to do that you have a hunch maybe he would still like to do. I texted my college kid and then my, <laughs> the two that live in my house that I hardly see anymore, the one who's 19 and attending a tech school and the one who's um, in high school yet, I texted them all to be like, okay, guys, Thanksgiving, like who's available when, what do you want to do? And the the college kid was the first to respond. And he said, pumpkin pie, ham. They don't like turkey. Pumpkin pie, ham, and board games. Nice. Andrew, that's what made me cry right here almost. Because like, what is the thing that I did with this child all the time as he was growing up? We homeschooled for a number of years. You know that, Janet, Andrew, you, you didn't. But like, that was, uh, I'm tearing up guys. That was how we homeschooled. Like, this is how he learned math. This is how he learned reading. This is how he learned whatever. So like, yeah. I didn't even realize that, but he's asking to connect in the way that he used to connect as well. That's a great example. And when, when we do things with people where they're in that space emotionally, where they're more open and more mm -hmm. and more willing, it's more likely if we approach it in a delicate way that we can have those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Now I want it's listeners to understand that when I sit down with my boys and play board games over Thanksgiving, most of the time it will sound like joking around sarcasm and insults most of the time because of my family dynamic. I've got three young adult sons who are jostling all the time. Yeah. But by being there in that space, that's mm -hmm. important. You mentioned safety, right? This is part of creating right. a safe environment. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. And and there's no easy, there's no, you know, one way, there's no silver bullet that we can, yeah. in that kind of situation that we can open things up because we also don't want to take advantage of the situation, you know, and ruin, ruin a bonding time, you know, but maybe just, you know, something as simple as I'm so glad, you know, this, this means a lot to me too, you know, to, to kind of have this time together. And, you know, it just, it has me thinking about, you know, that, that we really don't have the, the chance to have these kinds of moments together anymore. And, and, and I, I really do want to know, you know, just a little bit about what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. But, but when children, regardless of age, feel that the parent is really making an effort and there is that emotional connection that's being created by watching a movie together, playing board games together, doing something like that. I think that they're in that space of, of more willingness. Mm -hmm. You know, when my, when my, when my 11 year old son is more willing to share, I, I've noticed um, often it's when we've done some activity together. Yep. Now he's, he still is at that age where I don't, I don't have to work as hard for it, you know, but then again, I've been working with him on this for years, mm -hmm. but but when we've done some activity together, maybe we've gone outside and played catch and we come in and I can tell that it, it has felt good to him. Yeah. And sometimes like, you know, within a little bit more time, he'll just start sharing things that happened during that day. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing that ideally we want to set up. But at the very least, even if the children aren't going to do that because they're not used to it again, it still could be, you know, I miss having that, you know, this kind of time and it's just. And another thing I miss is just knowing a little bit more about what's going on in your life and what's going on, you know, and, and not making it always about, I worry about you, but because that, that makes them feel some degree of guilt, you know, they don't yeah, want to yeah. feel, but just, you know, things, I want to know what's good, what's going on. That's good. I want to know what's, what you what might be a little bit of a struggle, because mm -hmm. if we only focus on the things they're struggling with, it might cause that wall to stay up. But if we, you know, if we talk about the things that are going on that are making them happy, that, that are going well for them, 
if we kind of balance it out, it feels safer. Mm -hmm. I'm so curious. So you've got an 11 year old son and, you know, you've told us already your relationship with your dad was difficult. And so now here you are with this opportunity to do things different with your boy. He's 11. So there's probably friendships going on. So how, or what do you see that is happening with their friendships? How can you be somewhat of a bridge to help foster these friendships, this emotional connection with boys with each other? Because that's, I mean, that's where some things fall apart is Mm -hmm. the boys don't know how to support each other because they're doing what Jen's kids are doing over the board games, dissing each other and, you know, all of that. How do we help not only our own children, but that group dynamic, the friend, how do we help foster those friendships, deeper friendships? Yeah. I mean, and that really is such an important point because so many male friendships are really rooted in layers of competition. You really are. Mm-hmm. And a good example is, you know, when, when a group of guys get together and they're constantly ragging at each other and, you know, doing it and laughing, that's all, it's all, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the dynamic that that is frequent a lot of the time, there's an element of one-upsmanship to that. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that, is that even if guys will say, oh, I know they're just busting my chops, but really what that does is it creates this deeper feeling that I'm fine with this. This is the way we, this is the way we bond. It's fun. It's light. It's not serious. This, I need this, but these also aren't the kind of guys that I can go to when I really need to talk about other kinds of things. Doesn't feel safe. Because because it doesn't feel safe. Because a lot of guys know if I'm out with my buddies and somebody's, you know, somebody's trying to start something with me and my physical being is in, is in danger. I know that they'll have my back. Mm -hmm. But a lot of guys know that, that when it comes to their emotional beings, their friends don't have their backs. There's very little we can do, as we know, once our children are already in friendships and in relationships. What we can do is we can counterpunch, you know, in terms of of at home. That's really the place that we do have some control over the kinds of conversations we can have about this. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that we can really help boys with friendships is again to let, you know, let let them be the ones leading it. And what I mean by that is that when they are the ones coming home and they've had a bad day and they're upset, they're angry, usually beneath that anger is some element of hurt, you know, or shame. But when when we can get boys to open up a little bit, you know, to find out, you know, you look like something's a little bit off today. Um, is there anything that, you know, that, that I can help, you know, or anything you want to share? If and when boys are ever willing to offer up a little bit about something that that another person said or did, that really hurt their feelings. That's a good time mm-hmm. when they're willing to share it, to kind of step in and 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 to have these conversations, you know, about getting our own needs met in the context of our friendships and how important that is. Mm. You know, when my son, you know, will sometimes, and it happened a little bit more in the past, and I'm I'm hoping he'll still do it in the future, but you know, when my son would share with me that something happened at school that upset him. You know, what I'm thinking is like lights are going off, open door, open door, open door, golden opportunity here, don't blow it. And and it doesn't mean there's a perfect way to handle it. It just means take the opportunity to have a conversation about how in his, even in the context of his friendships, he still needs to have his emotional needs met. And it means that if somebody is saying something that is hurting, hurting his feelings, you know, then, then it's, it's okay to say, you know, look, 
you know, what you, what you said, you know, really, honestly, really did kind of hurt my feelings. And so I just wanted, you know, I just want to know that, that you'll just be a little more careful about these kinds of things, because I'm going to try to do the same thing with you. You know, it doesn't have to be some big, uncomfortable conversation for them or about the way they can handle things. It can still be something they're comfortable with. But it's really important to teach boys the importance of having their emotional needs met. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, so many boys grow into men who aren't good at doing this in the context of their romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And they don't and they think, well, my, 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 you know, my emotional needs really don't matter. I can handle whatever's thrown my way. And that's not true. Because what because if that was true, then men wouldn't get so resentful. You know, men men wouldn't suddenly explode and then their partners wouldn't like, where the hell did that come from? Mm-hmm. Because that is pent up, that is pent up resentment, because there are things that that partner has said or done, and this is triggering it yet again, that male really that person's feelings are hurt. Yeah. And he doesn't feel he's got the right and the permission to say something. But if we teach boys, if we work backwards and teach boys. Yes. In fact, you are emotional being, whether you want to admit it or not, you are, we're all emotional beings. Mm -hmm. And the sooner you come to terms with that, the happier you will be in the long run. But it's this idea of using that open door when boys are, you know, when somebody said something, you know, at school or at sports or wherever, using that as a time to really talk about, okay, so what are you going to do now about it? Again, question, not telling them what to do, but asking, what are you going to do now about it? Because you know what? Your feelings were hurt. And that that that's a that's a sign right there. If your feelings are hurt, listen to that. Don't swallow it down. Listen to that. What are you going to do with it? And help them come up with strategies for ways that they can they can go back to the person who hurt them to let that person know to deal in good faith. Because this is about normalizing emotional language and emotional and normalizing mm-hmm. their emotional lives and their entitlement and their and their rights to be an emotional being. Ugh. There's so much here. Uh, You know, I wish, I wish I could tell you listeners, do this one thing and you will have mentally resilient and healthy boys. It's not that (laughs) simple, right? Yeah, good luck with that. It's not that simple. Janet knows it's not that simple, but I love that what you're really saying is that this can actually be easier and more fun than a lot of us think, right? I don't have to spend time fighting with my 11 year old about his homework it's actually more productive and probably better for all of us if i go do something with him that he enjoys doing mm-hmm. yeah right absolutely and and that and and then and then you know in that moment where your child feels better right with the, the space is a much more positive space again you know don't lead with with judgment don't lead with with acrimony and accusation lead with curiosity because mm-hmm. that opens the door to collaboration you know as you're saying Jennifer you know if there's one thing you know the parents can take away okay at the very very least lead with curiosity mm-hmm. make your son a collaborator in his approach to getting back on track with school make this a yeah. collaboration and don't don't impose you know time expectations on when you expect things to, you know, just suddenly just turn around because it's going to be different in every situation for every child. Mm-hmm. The important thing is establish, be in relationship. And again, it's really important to lead with curiosity and to let your son know that you're in this with him and help let him also come up with ways that he thinks he can start to dig himself out so that he feels that he's got a stake in this and he's being heard. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to encourage our listeners to go get your book, 
because yes, you have so buy much- my book. <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes, but I'm going to tell you the title one more time. It's Better Boys, Better Men, The New Masculinity That Creates Greater Courage and Emotional Resiliency. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today and for all your work, both Oh, thank your you. books, your articles, and what you're doing on the college campus to support boys and young men. They and we who are raising them need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for, for you know, having me as a guest today. It's, it's been wonderful. And, and thank you for the work that you're doing with this podcast, both of you. Great to have you. And I'm looking forward to reading your book cover to cover. I hope you do. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Such a all pleasure. Right. Thank you both. Thank you for being our listeners. We hope you found this conversation valuable and that it's helpful for you to find some new ways to connect with your son, whether he's coming home from college for the holidays or not. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Again, if you found this podcast valuable, share it with a friend and Also, we so, so appreciate you supporting our sponsors. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.